Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, it's Doc Huffer coming to you again from my home studio here in Alvin, Texas. Thank you again for joining us with the Dear Doc Podcast. Today's guest, I think, needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyway in case you haven't seen his mug before. This is Maldi, Dr. Stephen Mountner, also known as uh, <laughs> the guy who gets banned from everything. So talk to me a little bit, Stephen. You know, I first met you um, long, long ago in a, in a galaxy far, far away when there's certain um, dental-only website um, that a, a whole town of dentists, one might even say, uh, you, you were you were pretty outspoken there, and then then you got kicked off. Tell us a little bit about the old days there, and you can feel free to mention whatever you want to mention or not, but um, just just cover that real quick because I think that's a pretty interesting story. Yeah, well, in dental town, you know, it started off as uh, the wild wild west. You know, me and just a few other guys would be uh, debating each other. Mostly, it was about you know the way I practice versus fee for service. I felt dental fees are too high and right. You know, dentists take themselves too seriously. So we used to go back and forth. And actually, a couple of the guys that I used to go against, we became friends. One was is a local guy here in Florida, even, and we still correspond with each other. He's actually taking a break from Facebook because he he can't deal with the censorship anymore. And <laughs> well, we're uh, going to talk about that in a little bit, actually. So yeah. So anyway, so uh, what happened was, you know, throughout the years, the dental town you know was growing. So there were more and more sensitive people on there, of course, that uh, didn't like to hear the, you know, the didn't like to hear honest opinions. And I was getting warnings and you know, emails from Howard uh, Goldstein. The interesting thing was when they would shut me down over there, I, I became kind of friendly with Howard Farron. And we even got together a couple of times when he came to Florida. So he would tell uh, Howard, you know, let him go back on, blah, blah, blah. But then Howard... Farron eventually washed him, you know, he just didn't want to have anything to do with the whole thing. So he just kind of right. put Goldstein in charge of the message board, which, uh, of course, was a disaster because he's an oversensitive baby. And uh, hey, he doesn't look, want I, any, I don't uh, have I don't have anything to complain about there. If it weren't for um, Goldstein, the business of dentistry wouldn't exist at all. Um, yeah, I, I hear I and, a direct uh, response to that. Yeah. So, but anyway, so he became, you know, he was very uh, sensitive to any kind of uh, honesty or controversy or, you know, attacks on people. So he, he put my, uh, I started a blog on Dental Town, which is kind of like a tongue in cheek, sarcastic review of the most ridiculous topics. And I gave it my own spin. He didn't really like it so much, but it was kind of popular. So he put it off to the side in the leisure section where it was hard to notice it. Right. So what happened was, while he did that on the mobile app, it was still up on the main pages. So when you logged on to the mobile app, it was right there in front of you. So I announced that, and he didn't like that I did that, <laughs> and he just threw me off. So which is okay actually because uh, it wasn't as fun as it used to be. You know, it, it, I'm actually more. Uh, I like Facebook better anyway. Although Facebook is trending in that direction they are, also. They are. That's, that's a conversation we had a little bit earlier. I have to be careful with the things that I say on Facebook. 
because I've already received multiple warnings, not just from what I've said personally, which was entirely factual and backed up by hell, Stephen, you know how I do things. Whenever I, whenever I make a very blatant statement, I always have four or five articles tacked on to support my position. And I had done this exact same thing and they threatened to close down the business of dentistry because they didn't like what I had to say. Now it turns out in retrospect, everything I said about the, the longevity of longevity of the antibodies is being proven to be absolutely completely 100% true, but they didn't, it, it didn't support their agenda. And so they, they threatened to close us down. I've received several warnings from things. Some people who might even be on this video have said, but, um, uh, and, and I know that as a person who owns another group uh, and guys, Dental Chown Rejects, great place to go. If you just want to have some fun with dentistry, just um, bring your big boy pants and, um, and make sure your skin is, is uh, sufficiently thick to enjoy the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's not even that popular of a group. There's only about 900 members. So, but, and I'm not sure if it's the, the Facebook algorithms or people uh, that turning, you know, reporting on me that's led to a couple of suspensions, so it's hard to say. But I mean, obviously, they kicked Trump off, so if they could throw him off, right. they could throw anyone off. So it's crazy, man. Uh, it really it's an unfortunate is. thing. It, it's an unfortunate thing. Uh, I'm going to Nathan's meeting next month. You know, Ho, the Dental Win Win Summit, and Edward Zuckerberg is going to be there. And I'm not sure if I'm going to bring this up to him <laughs> when he speaks, but I, 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 I actually messaged him a few weeks ago about my suspension. So and he actually got back to me. And yeah, he asked me my URL. Yeah, he asked me my. He told me he doesn't work for the company, but give me my Facebook URL and the comment that led to me getting suspended. Nothing came mm -hmm. of it. But an interesting thing was, um, Morty's blog uh, a post that they had um, restricted two months ago was allowed back on. Oh, so I don't know if he. I don't know if he had anything to do with it or not, but who knows? I, I know that he helped my wife out, and it, it turns out that the way that they, uh, they run this uh, is it's it entirely automated. And then when you appeal, that's automated as well. And so it just automatically tells you no. Um, right. Yesterday, after six months of being suspended from advertising, they suddenly sent her a letter that said, or an email that said, oh, by the way, we've reviewed your stat the case status and we found that it was restricted in error. And I'll tell you, huh. I really... It, maybe this is just the conspiracy-minded part of me, but I really think that they're purposefully punishing people with conservative views by restricting their businesses. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Stephen? Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I don't, I don't advertise on Facebook, so it doesn't affect me, but uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame. And uh, hopefully- and it, it, it is their platform. It really is their platform. So I, I'm not one of those guys who's like, hey, you got to buckle under. Hey, Facebook needs to do what I want them to do. It's their platform. But I do think right. it's a real shame that, and it's a disservice. If they want to do that, they should just be open about it. Well, the other thing is, is, uh, you know, they, um, if Congress had gone Republican, they would have uh, probably lost their Section 230, uh, uh, you know, immunity. So that's the only way to solve this problem. They should be, uh, they should be uh, not exempt from um, liability suits. So I'm okay with, it's their platform. It's a private business. I'm okay with them making their rules but they should be uh, liable to be sued just like the rest of us. Just like I could Absolutely. be sued in my dental practice for you know, messing up someone's mouth or someone slipping on the floor. So they, well, they should play by the that, same rules as all of us. That brings us to a great topic that I really wanted to get in with you. Um, and that is 
your practice. And so you've always espoused a very fast paced PPO practice as the way to go. And, you know, you and I have had some polite disagreements over it, which I, I, I should definitely say, guys, we can always disagree, but as long as we disagree politely, it's okay. It's it, getting into name calling just shows that you have a very weak case. And so, right. um, you know, you and I have, have talked at length, I mean, goodness, for several hours uh, at, at different times, but um, we have very different practices. And honestly, through COVID, I have two practices now. I have one that's a PPO practice. It's very similar to what you do. And I have my fee-for-service practice. My PPO practice came out strong. I mean, it came out of the, the whole crisis strong, really strong. Putting up the same numbers or better, my fee-for-service practice didn't. And so that's a, a very good point that you've made in the past is that whenever someone experiences a recession or, or an economic downturn of any kind, the first thing that goes is, fee-for-service dentistry. So talk to us a little bit about your model and, um, and, and, and just be in depth with it. Now, usually you're known for a pretty tongue-in-cheek um, description of what you do. And I'm going to ask you just to, just to put out real information out there without making fun of yourself for once. Because you, 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 you tend to denigrate yourself and laugh at yourself, which is, which is great because I love the fact that you don't take yourself too seriously. But I'd love for people to, to really actually meet the real genius behind the things that you do. So talk to me a little bit about your business philosophies and some of the things you've learned over the years. Well, the, the business philosophy is a combination of my own personal experience. I'm a, you know, I come from a family of dentists. My grandfather was a dentist and my dad was a dentist. So I wanted to follow in their footsteps. The, the thing that attracted me to dentistry was not so much the teeth, was the fact that my, my dad and my grandfather father were both their own men very independent did what they wanted all the time you know my dad would uh you know if he didn't like someone in his practice he'd throw him out closed whenever he wanted took vacations whenever he wanted absolutely and the thing that impressed me about my grandfather was uh he uh, became a dentist in 1919 he graduated NYU dental and he lost all his money in the stock market crash in 1929 but he still was able to earn a living and he recovered from that. And even during the depths of the depression and World War II, he owned a home. My grandmother stayed home, raised uh, my aunts and my mom, and they had a great life. And, you know, he developed, you know, he was able to become what you would consider wealthy, not a multimillionaire, but very comfortable. So that was impressive right. to me. And the same thing with my dad. He was his own boss. We lived a good lifestyle growing up. So that was why I went into dentistry. And as far as the philosophy of dentistry was, when I started to work with my dad, his practice really wasn't big enough to support two dentists. So I, I went out and got other jobs, tried to get other jobs. And I finally landed a job at a Medicaid practice in, in Harlem. And what impressed me about that job was, you know, all the patients were Medicaid patients, like 95% of them. And there was no financial barrier to treatment. So they basically just, did whatever I told them they 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 you know they needed as long as it was covered by Medicaid and I made good money in fact on a per diem basis more than I do with my dad and then also I started reading about business you know, once I graduated dental school I stopped following purely sports I started reading about business and dentistry and what impressed me was the two richest guys in America during their time when they were alive were Henry Ford 
who perfected a process of mass producing cars and making it uh, affordable to the average middle class guy. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with Sam Walton. He cut the prices of retail products and made it available to people that lived in rural communities and suburban communities, you know, versus the, the typical high priced mom and pop store. So those, the, the way those two conducted business impressed me, plus my experience with uh, the Medicaid practice led to my um, practice philosophy. So, and, and, I, and I pick on you a lot because for those of you who don't know, he's Jewish. So I pick on you and I, I tell you it's in your blood, but it, you, you really are very, um, very dollar conscious and very efficient in the way that you practice. Um, talk to us a little bit about what an average day in your practice looks like, how many chairs you've got, um, you know, whatever numbers you're comfortable with. Um, I know some people get a little bit bashful about their numbers. I never have been, you know, when I have a crappy month, I'm going to tell you when I have a great month, I'm going to tell you. So I, I think that the danger lies in us only telling the rosy stories. So talk to us a little bit about your average day, what your um, practice gross and net or, and how many chairs you have, how many PPOs you're in, in network with, which I think is going to shock some people. <laughs> Well, I have really, uh, I don't really even know how many PPOs I have. I just basically take every type of plan except Medicaid. I take a lot of um, union plans from New York City retirees, a lot of Medicare Advantage plans. Medicare now offers uh, Medicare Advantage and they give these people, you know, which instead of becoming traditional, going on traditional Medicare, they go with a private insurance company like Humana or Aetna or United Healthcare, and these people are eligible to sign up for a limited dental plan. So I take a lot of that. And then I take a lot of the traditional PPOs like everybody else takes, like Guardian, Delta Dental, and all that. And uh, as far as the chairs I have, I have 10 chairs. I used to have a general dental associates work in three of them, but after the uh, financial crisis of 07, while I was in the process of looking for a replacement, I noticed that the economy was slowing and maybe I could go without an associate. So my numbers were the same. And I, and I saw since then I've been without a general dental associate since 07, I have a perio associate with who comes in and does implants uh, mm -hmm. just exclusively. He doesn't really do perio, he hates it. We just basically focus on implants. So I have that. He works out of three chairs. So I work out of four myself and uh, then I have uh, three hygiene chairs and some, we usually have just two hygienists. Sometimes we have three, you know, on, on like, a, a, like a half a day a week, but normally we, we have two hygiene, my four chairs. And on one day a week, we have the perio guy come in and, and do his implants. Okay. And uh, it's a very busy day. Everything is like double booked. We stopped confirming patients, but then during the pandemic, we noticed that the hygiene, uh, uh, we were having a lot of hygiene no-shows and the hygienist was sitting around. So we mm. changed philosophy with the hygiene. Now we're confirming the hygiene only because uh, we don't want the uh, the hygienist sitting around doing nothing. Again, paid way so, too much to do nothing. So how was going to say, so how much my, are they my, getting paid out in Florida now? Because they're, they're asking between 45 and 65 here in Texas now, which is insane to me because it's double yeah, what it was nuts. when I got out of school in 2012. Yeah, here we're, you know, they're getting low 30s. 
So 32 to 34, which uh, I think that's a lot of money, but I, I guess that's the market. You know, and I hear I higher, I hear higher. <laughs> What's that? I said, I need to move to Florida. Yeah, well, it, it could be like this my area because there's a there's a there's a glut of hygienists in uh, in uh, Miami, and a lot of them came up to Broward. One of the, like one of them woman that works with me, she came up from uh, Miami to work with me like 15, 20 years ago because the the salaries were so low down there. I guess there was a glut down there, and Broward County had less. So, you know, I, I think I'm paying pretty much average. I don't think I'm overpaying. I don't think I'm underpaying. I'm pretty fair. With, with that so all right well Stephen, is there anything else you want to talk about and you can pull out all your politics that you want on this one because this is going to be on a dot on the deer doc podcast and you know it takes a lot more for youtube to shut me down than it does for facebook so talk to us a little bit about your philosophies what what makes you who you are is i, I think that well, a lot like of people I, are intrigued by you well like i said i'm a combination of uh you know my parents uh, you know, my parents are very unique because, uh, first of all, they were like a team. It wasn't like if I, uh, I wanted to get something, I could, you know, ask my mom and not ask my dad. If my dad said no, my mom would usually say no and vice versa. Yep. And uh, they were uh, very uh, unique also is that they became Jewish Republicans in the 70s when they saw New York City going to hell. I've never City understood was- the propensity for Jewish people to be Democrats. Yeah, well, n- neither do I, and you know, my my girlfriend Elizabeth feels the same way. She can't understand why Jews would, why Jews are so liberal. I think it's part of it comes from the centuries of persecution and the Holocaust, and they see themselves as a persecuted minority versus the fact that they're more like on the other side. That Jews are are family oriented, business oriented, education oriented, uh, very hardworking. So that doesn't um, absolutely that doesn't match with the Democratic Party. It doesn't, and they they tend to be very very wise fiscally. Um, of, of all the ones that uh, to full disclosure, one of my um, my favorite cousin in the world married into a Jewish family, and so I got to learn a little bit about them, uh, about just some of the beliefs. And what I found was that some Jewish people identify themselves as a religion, whereas some identify themselves as a race, and others even identify themselves almost as a nationality. Does that make sense to you? Kind of, kind of my perception on that. Yeah, I mean, with me, it's partially religion and partially like a cultural thing. Like I, oh. I, uh, I, the Jewish culture is very funny. You know, it's we have a very sarcastic humor. We we laugh at everybody, and then and the besides, food is most Yiddish kind of, words are just fun to say. I mean, gefilte. Yeah, <laughs> and Yiddish words are based on a ridicule. A lot of the words are how we ridicule uh, non-Jews. Mm-hmm. you know and uh hey, if you call you know, me a Schme- if you call me a schmegma we're gonna have to have words yeah well that's actually uh the polite thing i mean normally it's a schmuck like my dad oh, my goodness. Dad you're, gonna, you're gonna have to talk later and you're gonna have to tell me some really really good yiddish insults because i know some but yeah, uh like schmendrick uh schmuck you know mm-hmm. schlamazel right you know nincompoop that's basically the poor so my dad thought everybody was a schmuck including me and <laughs> Everybody Until that proven otherwise. Him. Yes, including and, and so except for my mom. We, we don't have a PG. A we don't have a PG rating on this show. So if you want to, if you want to actually translate what any of those things mean, you can. And 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 if he doesn't, you should definitely go and look them up because there's some of the best insults out there. Um, 
you know, I mean, like, um, you know, basically they just mean idiot or correct, like Meshuggah means crazy. Yeah, yeah, so, but, uh, so schmuck, schmuck, if I'm not mistaken, means the discarded portion of foreskin that's removed during a circumcision. And, yeah, a, yeah. and schmegma has to do with the female counterpart of that thing whenever it has an infection and uh, is having a discharge. I mean, so those are some yeah. pretty great insults. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But basically, we, we uh, you know, like when we, when we call someone a schmuck, we mean they're an idiot. Or right, what? absolutely, absolutely. But I, I love the root of wherever etymology of words is one of my uh, one of my hobbies. I really like to know why a word means what it means, and so I I, I did a deep dive into uh, some of the some of the Yiddish words a while back, and man, I've never laughed so hard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, like as far as the politics go, so you know, so my you know my parents became uh, Republicans because of. Uh, New York City was run by a Democratic administration for years, and the crime in the 70s was terrible. And then, of course, Jimmy Carter became president, and, and things you know, just got worse. Was, uh, rough. He was it the worst. I mean, you know, people, it wasn't really until Giuliani took over that you guys had um, a real upsurgence in, um, in in standard of living and a drop in crime. Uh, I, yes. As, I, as yes. I recall, one of his, um, as I, I read in Tipping Point, that one of Rudy Giuliani's um, tenants was the broken windows tenant and that basically what they yes. would do is they would go through to all these trashed out neighborhoods and they'd scrape off and repaint every building so there's no more graffiti and they put up new windows and they just kept doing that and two people stopped breaking them and then all of a sudden you got this huge move of gentrification in those areas because people had pride in what they owned they had pride in what and, and, they had yes and also he increased the um he cleaned up the subways, increased the security on the subways. He got rid of the panhandlers and the, and the squeegee guys that would, you know, at the yeah. red light, they would come over and wash your windshield so you would give them a buck. Yeah, they all moved so to New Orleans. All that. What? They all moved to New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. So we got rid of all that stuff, and it really made New York City a, a nicer place. Like, I had already moved out by then, but, you know, I, I visit a lot because I still have family there. So the, the difference was... Uh, uh, obvious. It became a beautiful place, uh, especially Times Square. Times Square, when I was a kid, was crime, triple um, X movie houses, drugs, prostitution. Now right. it's like Disneyland. You have all the major stores, ma major brands have stores there, and you know people go there to sightsee. It's it's beautiful. It's starting to backtrack a little bit, but it's uh, still way better than it was in the '70s and '80s when, when I, I imagine. There. I imagine. So, Stephen, what other things do you do? I mean, you know me, I kind of dabble in a lot of different businesses. Um, I own several things outside of dentistry and mainly in the tech sector. What do you, what do, you do besides dentistry? Uh, not much. I come home, I uh, watch television, I like to read. You, you know, you, you're an author, aren't you? You're, you're being, you're yeah, being I wrote a book with... modest. Yeah, I, I wrote a book with Emily Latran. It hasn't really become, it's not a big commercial success, but it's a good book. It's, it's, a, it's like half the book is my sarcastic, you know, fun things. And then the other half is serious as far as how a, a dentist would go about, you know, go, going to school, running his practice, dealing with insurance. I always wondered how that partnership would have worked out because Emily tends to be super, super serious. And you're just kind of like, you're not taking any yeah. of this thing serious. So how, yeah, how did, how did that uh, partnership come to be? 
Well, she just asked me if I wanted to, you know, do a book with her. You know, I had thought about writing a book, but, you know, I'm kind of lazy and I'm busy with the practice. So normally when I come home, I don't want to be bothered with anything. So she kind of yeah. pushed me. So I've just basically, most of my uh, content uh, was a rehash of my blog posts. And I had to come up with a couple of, you know, um, new things. But it's all the same stuff I write on Facebook. Very sarcastic, mm -hmm. you know, very, uh, you know, tongue in cheek. You know, like my advice to, like she has a, there's one chapter on advice to graduates. So she has all the serious advice, you know, write a resume, you know, how to, how to conduct yourself on an interview. And mine is basically uh, don't graduate, stay in school, you know, kind of like the Rodney Dangerfield back to school advice. You know, so that's the typical thing that's in the book. It, it's a funny book. I think it's a good book. I'm a little disappointed it didn't sell more, but I know it's hard to sell books nowadays. There's so much competition out there. Yeah, well, yeah, and there's a lot of people who they'll publish a book. And I know this because I, I, I finished writing my book, I guess about eight months ago. I got it accepted into publication. And um, I'll be honest with you, I'm too, much of a, I'm too much of a nitpicker of my own work. I'm too much of a perfectionist because they're ready to go to print. I was like, well, let's, let's tweet this. And so it's still sitting out there. But one of the things they told me, they're like, okay, so um, do you, what, what do you want to budget to buy your own books? It's like, why would I buy my own damn books? And so they explained this whole intricate system where whenever you want to become a best-selling author, that you buy your own books and then you give them away. And then just because it says best-selling author, all of a sudden everyone buys your book. It sounds like a right. load of horse crap to me. Yeah. Yeah, well, Emily just basically she paid for all the um, she paid for all the, uh, the the printing and all that stuff, and we just basically split the uh, the, the profit. And uh, you know, it, it, we advertised it on just on Facebook and the different groups, and we we sold uh, some copies. But now it's with the pandemic, we kind of stopped marketing it because you know, like I felt it was kind of important taste to be marketing. Yeah, distasteful to market a book while people are really struggling out there. What if, you had given, what if you had given everyone a free mask with that book? Yeah, probably they would have fallen for that. I didn't understand this whole <laughs> PPE thing. I never had trouble getting PPE. You know, and I didn't, I didn't pass on the cost to my patients who were also struggling way more than I was. And uh, I just... Uh, like I felt that was the dumbest thing ever. The PPE fee. That's, you know, if you, if you're really worried, just raise your fees $5. Right. You know, no one will even know that you're raising your fees five, but why? Well, and, throw that's, in an extra and that's something that you and I are actually very similar on, even though we have very, very different practice models. I don't think people like to be nickeled and dimed. I think people want yeah, one but, price. They want to know how much is it going to cost? They want to pay you the price, figure out how to pay you the price and get it done. They don't want to be yeah, nagged exactly. about it. Right. And a lot of my patients weren't economically sensitive because they had a insurance plans, but still, um, it's, it's, I think it's very uh, in poor taste to charge someone coming in and paying cash, you know, Oh, that'll be an extra $10 for the, uh, the PPE fee. You know, first of all, they don't even know what PPE means. And secondly, to them, it's just an extra $10. They don't know. They don't know what it is, you know? Like even my lab years ago, they charged me. Remember when in 08, when the gas prices went up to absurd levels, like over mm -hmm. $100 a barrel of uh, oil? Right. So my lab charged me uh, an extra fee for a delivery. So I, I kind of, I said, you know, this is absurd. I'm your number one client. 
I'm giving you like 20 grand a month right. and you're charging me an extra 10 bucks delivery fee. I mean, come on, you know, we're, we're all struggling here, you know, and, Oh wait, that was a tough time for everybody. You know, I, so, I think uh, that, um, I think if you look back at a uh, 2012, I believe um, there was the prosthetic tax. If you remember where all of a sudden crowns became considered was it class three medical devices or something like that? Or, and, and oh, they, were were subject do, to yeah, they didn't do it. Oh, yeah. they, they ended up not doing. It. Okay. I was going to say, cause yeah. I, I bet yeah. your, I bet your lab costs went up for that too. <laughs> no, they, they actually kept it the same, uh, but I mean, they raised me a little bit uh, periodically, but they're pretty good. But you know, that thing with the gas surtax, uh, that was ridiculous. I mean, they were in the same town as me. They're like uh, 10 right. minutes by car. What, what gas surtax, you know? So anyway, so uh, they nixed so, that one. Words of wisdom. All right. Today, if I had to go and do it over again, um, I'll be honest with you. I, for the way that I work and the things that I do, I consider dentistry just to be the keys to the country club for me because all I had to do was have access to the dental market to do a lot of the tech things that I do. Aside from the fact that dentistry has afforded me the ability to earn a good living and to retire early. Um, retire, you know, the, the, the thing is though, I don't know if I were to talk to a new grad, if I would recommend them to go to dental school today because of the, the debt levels. So I am, um, I'm going to give you some math real quick. And then I'm going to ask you to tell me what your thoughts are and what your advice would be for young dentists. So right. average education right now costs $500,000. That breaks down to $5,000 per month over the usual term of loans. That breaks down to $60,000 post-tax, which is $90,000 in our tax bracket pre-tax, which means that a student has to make $90,000. Their first $90,000 goes just to student loans. And then whenever you consider that the average dentist in the United States makes $150,000, so you get $150,000 minus $90,000. And uh, that leaves you with what, $60,000, one third of that or $20,000 is going to go to taxes as well. So you're left with about forty dollars to $45,000 a year as an average dentist getting out of school right now. I can't say I'd recommend that. What are well, your I disagree with that. And I'll tell you I knew why. you would. And that's why I asked you. Right. Because even though I'm very critical of dentists and dentistry in general, it's still a great profession because first of all, you do the 10% income-based repayment. Okay, you do that. So that way, say you make uh, 120,000 your first year out of school, you're paying 10% of your net income, not even your gross, I think it's your net income. So you're paying, it stays within your income level. After 25 years, they forgive the balance. Mm -hmm. And if you buy your own practice, uh, we all know when you own your own business, you can keep your income down you know, less than you are as an associate. Say, exactly. There's a lot more tax deductions and uh, above the right. line deductions in particular that are available to you as an owner. Right. So as an owner, eventually you could uh, keep your, your loan payments manageable within your income. So after 25 years, I know everyone's worried about the income tax bite because of the, um, you know, the, you know, they forgive, you know, a forgiven debt is income. Mm -hmm. So you could save for that. You could, of course, if you if you can't save for it, you could borrow to pay it. If you uh, I'm sure really the IRS. Person, if you were really smart, you would actually use some of those same deductions. You know how whenever you sell a practice, you can actually roll it over into a trust, put a life insurance policy on top of the trust to pay out the interest at the end of the term, and you can keep 100% of the proceeds of the sale. 
that's one of the right. tax strategies that's available to people. A lot of people don't know that. You could actually Wait, what's that one now though? What, what's that one now that you, you put okay, into so a trust? On the sale of a practice, you put the proceeds into the trust. You take a loan out from the company who owns the trust for the entire amount. Then since you haven't actually received the monetary compensation for the practice, you don't owe taxes until you receive it. So you've only received a loan from that money, right? right. So you take out a life insurance policy on the entire amount of what the expected tax is from the trust. Right. And then that pays for the taxes when the trust matures, the trust pays for the loan. And so right. you can actually pull out 100% of the sales, um, the sales cost of the practice by doing that. It's, it's a very little known, I like to call it a uh, IRS acrobatics. So you're doing backwards. You have right? access to the, uh, you have access to the funds uh, right away uh, from the sale. You do, practice, you do. So you have access to the funds because you actually have a loan that doesn't become due until the maturation of the trust. And so you get 100% percent of the How long is that? It depends how on how long you put it out for. I believe the standard wow. is 25 to 30 years. Um, wow. So it's, it's a really great vehicle for keeping all of, the, all of the profits for the sale. But my, my point was more to the fact is uh, if you were to do this repayment program, you could just take out a life insurance policy that matures at the time that you would be paying those taxes and you use that income to pay for all the taxes at that, at that point. Right. Or much more efficiently than policy. paying out of pocket. Yes. And also, you know how politicians are. Probably there's going to be a, a huge amount of students, uh, ex-students who have this situation in 25 years from now, and they're going to probably do like what they did during the foreclosure uh, crisis. Right. So, you know, make the, the foreclosure, uh, not the, uh, the forgiven foreclosure amount, you know, on the, on the sale for a short sale, for example. They, that wasn't considered taxable income. So maybe they'll do something like that. So I still think dentistry is a good career as long as you don't freak out and use all your money to pay off the student loans, unless, of course, you're doing exceptionally well. Right. So I still think it's a good career because if you if you think about other jobs out there, how many other jobs provide the flexibility, the the guaranteed income, and yeah, and the you know, dentistry still you know dentistry is an interesting profession, and also the flexibility. You don't have to work weekends, evenings. You can work part time. So I still recommend dentistry because. What other jobs out there are even better? I mean, medicine stinks, unless you become like a dermatologist I, or I, uh, I think maybe like with your, you know, well, like yeah, well, as a veterinarian uh, like my wife. But but so you know, and and I think even that insurance is beginning to rear its ugly head there as well. Um, I think that, um, in all honesty, as we look at this, you drive downtown and you see big buildings, right? Right. How many times you're looking at a big building? Does it have a dentist's name across it? Yeah, but my uh, see, like my um, my goal in becoming a dentist was not to have a big building. It was just to make enough money. You know, in Jew Jewish families, they always want the son to make a living. So I just wanted to make enough to support myself, have a an apartment or a house. You know, not necessarily a family, but I always wanted to make enough to have a place to live, a car food and enough money to save for retirement and have a few laughs. So, well, that's, that's actually, that's actually the American dream, or at least it used to be, you know, whenever I was, right, well, yeah. Well, so as a dentist, you could still achieve that. The problem with the problem with this is dentists are a lot of them have unrealistic expectations. They think they're going to be super wealthy. I agree. And if they can't, and if they can't become super wealthy, their life is a failure. 
What's when wrong they want to make they may want to make two hundred thousand dollars a year coming out of school, but they barely have enough skill not to kill someone. I that's mean, right. So I, I, I didn't have that skill. I didn't have that skill either. I, I learned I, I it from my either. dad. But I knew yeah. that I had to I put in. I learned a lot from my dad. You know? Yeah, I learned a lot from my dad, and I learned a lot that working in that Medicaid place. You know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, and I and I still make mistakes, and I made mistakes when I had my own practice in Florida. But of course, what do you do? You make it up. You you make it up to the patient. You give them a refund, or you do the replace the tooth at no charge. Absolutely. And that, and then you develop you develop relationships. Well, yes, and, and a relationship, and that, that's what dentistry is about. It's about hand yeah. skills. It really is, but it's about relationships more than anything else in the world, I think. Right, right. Uh, absolutely. So, And people will forgive you for, mis for mistakes as long as uh, you own up to it and you make and you make up for it. Whether, even you, if, uh, you're so right there. How many times have you looked at a crown and you look at the mark and you go, you know what? I this isn't good. I have to apologize. I, I need to redo this. Um, it, that, that's the only right yeah. thing to do. Um, when can I get you scheduled? It's no cost. I just want to make sure that you get the treatment you paid for. Yeah. A lot, I they, do that they respect often. that. Yes. And even uh, like uh, with dentures, for example, a lot of dentists don't want to do dentures. There's, oh, I love dentures. dentures. Great. Yeah, me too. They're, it's great money. It's, uh, you know, it takes you 15 minutes chair time to make a denture. So now, of course, <laughs> but, sometimes but again, you that's, can't. That's relationship. So when you make a denture, I'd love to hear your spiel. Mine goes kind of like this. Okay, dentures with that implant suck, but it's better than having no teeth at all. And right now, that's where you're heading. So I'm going to tell you right now, these dentures, they're going to be like chewing with two Frisbees. And that's about as good as it gets without implants. Right. Now, that being said, I like to call them Sunday go to meat and teeth. You can smile at people again. So as long as right. we're both in agreement that that's what you're paying for, and yet you understand that these are going to be horrible. Let's go forward. Can we start yeah, that today? I mean, I, yeah. And I, 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 I say that's my pro approach and then uh, I do it. And once in a while, um, the difficult patients are the one that want to make another denture. Like say they have an old denture that they're used to. So the second denture often is not comfortable. I, I don't do those without implants. Just period. Yeah, well, I do. I'll do them, but uh, you know, um, I tell them, you know, you have to understand that this may not be good. If they pay out of pocket and even with all that, I'll give them the money back anyway. You know, it's like right. they hear the message. It's not going to be good. You're used to the old set, but it doesn't sink in. And so even with that, I'll give a refund and people appreciate that also. You know, it, it, I don't give a lot of refunds, but right. occasionally I'll give a refund. It's better to give the money back than to have a dissatisfied person that, uh, will bad mouth you to their friends or the community or whatever. So I, I do that too. So. You know, it's funny. There was a, a study and I don't remember if it was Kodak or who it was who did it. It's kind of funny how many great economic studies and business studies Kodak did and they still went bankrupt. Yeah. It, it kind of, every time I hear someone quote a, a Kodak study, that's my first thought as well. If they'd listened to their own damn studies, because their, their studies told them they needed to keep up, but they didn't do it. Uh, so right. with all that being said, I believe it was a Kodak study that said that every dissatisfied customer will tell one person. Now, this was back in the 80s. And so right. now with the Internet, that's thousands of people. Right. Every satisfied customer will tell two people. Two people. Right. So right. now that brings me to something else that we often uh, 
discuss, and I'm not sure how much of this for you is cheek and you know where I'm going, don't you? So how much of this is cheek and tongue for you and how much is not, but uh, right. reviews. I'm a huge believer in online reviews and you're like, forget that. I could care less. I could care less. I, I read them uh, occasionally when I have nothing to do. I've actually uh, reported a couple as uh, fake reviews because I couldn't mm -hmm. see them as a, I couldn't find them in my software, but I don't respond. I don't care. I don't ask patients for reviews. As a customer, I find that annoying when I go to a business and they say, oh, can you give us a review? I mean, I'll do it, right. but just give me the, give me the food or fix my car and leave me alone. Let me go. Don't, don't make me do extra work. It's bad enough that I'm here. Leave me alone. So I don't bother the patients with reviews. One guy recently liked my, the work I did for him. He goes, what can I do for you? I said, well, if you want, give me a nice review. But I very rarely, I don't ask for reviews. I read them occasionally. I don't I'm surprised respond. you, knowing, knowing your sense of humor, I'm surprised the first thing that came out of your mouth was, well, you could pay me double. Yeah, well, you know what? I would love to, yeah. I would love to respond to the reviews, but then uh, it looks kind of desperate to respond. And also there's, from what I've read online, there's like HIPAA, uh, implications if you even respond to a review. Right. So my philosophy with these reviews, the, my review is my waiting room and my bank account. If my waiting room is busy and my bank account is taking in money, that's all that counts to me. So yes, I have some very bad reviews. Mostly I have good reviews, but I'm like a 4.1 on Google, which looks like natural. People even tell me that, that, that I've looked at my reviews and said, you know, your reviews are good. There's a couple of bad ones, but it doesn't look staged. I mean, how could a practice have 500 5.0 reviews? That's absurd. Mm -hmm. That doesn't even look, that doesn't even look right. You know, it looks I, phony. I cherish, I have four one-star reviews. Everything else is four and five stars, but I have four right. one-star reviews and I cherish those reviews because they always come up with the best review and then the one star. And then they go and they click right. on one star to hear the worst stuff first, at least that's what I do. And there's three, right. of them, you know, and right. then you click on the other one, there's hundreds. So right. I feel like it lends legitimacy to right. the actual relevance of the other reviews. Right. Well, I, 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 yeah, a few months ago, I went on uh, in Dental Town Rejects and I, and I said, I'm just going to randomly give 10 of my colleagues five-star reviews. You guys could return the favor because I think we need to end the tyranny of these Google reviews because healthcare providers can't even respond because of uh, HIPAA. You know, you can't. Uh, Matt, we should block that. We should find some way of coming together as a community and, and keeping them from leaving reviews for doctors because it's simply, it's, it's, it, it is, it's blackmail in a lot of cases. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but to, to let you know, and anyone else who listens to this, uh, this podcast, if, if you leave a review from somewhere that is not where the practice is, it will automatically be, be flagged as suspicious and it will be removed by Google. In yeah, well, mine cases. hasn't been, uh, but those haven't, the ones that I've had from my colleagues hasn't been removed yet. You know, I'm surprised. You know, so I'm very surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I just think, you know, that that's a good thing for the American Dental Association too. Why don't they do something about these ridiculous Google reviews? They, you know, they, I mean, I, the ADA has done some good things and I, I think we need them in, in I, we need them in dentistry to lobby for us, but sometimes they, they, um, well, the they do uh, things that we don't even need. The ADA has a split, not just a split message, but a split duty. And that duty is to protect the public and to serve dentists, right? And a lot of times the protect the public is at odds with the serve dentists. 
So if you were to go out and say, hey, it's illegal to leave reviews for a doctor anymore at all, people would say that they were being censored, rightfully so. You would be probably one right. of those first people saying that, bud. I think it's a very complicated problem and there's no real easy solution for it. it well, the way of course, you just get rid of HIPAA and just let doctors tell people what really happened. Yes, yes. Well, maybe we should be able to have a, a site where we... Uh... We put bad patients on the site. No, let, let you know. Have like I told you about my idea yet? Have I told you about what? my idea? I've no, actually been kicking around like that idea. I've actually spent about $5,000 in legal fees to study HIPAA and find a way to have a doctor's only group where we can post bad patients on it and tell everyone the real story about what happened. Yeah, well, I'm in. I'm, I would love sticky. to have something like that. It, yeah, yeah. It gets I, would, I would love to do that. Yeah, I'm sure it would be because you're dealing with a, um, a confidential health information so i think uh, it'd be great if we could uh, strike back and do that put any put all these trouble troublemaker patients on a, on a platform where a doctor could uh, you know just make sure that they're not on it that doesn't mean you're not going to take them but you know maybe the patient has uh, different issues they, they bounce checks they they complain drug user yeah whatever i mean it'd be nice to know you know but i, I know that'll never but the, I don't think that'll ever happen because it's too. Um, it was it, it, it was too risky Tampa. for me at, at the time. Whenever I looked into it, it was too risky for me as a business proposition. Because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to make money doing it. I'm going to charge right. you guys, you know, a, a membership fee. But to do that, I've got to have great information. I've got to have a lot of it. And there was just no real easy way to do that. That I wasn't yeah. opening myself to lawsuit after lawsuit. Yeah. So, yeah, because a, a patient, you put a patient on there, they, they could sue you for, they can't get health care anymore. I mean, what well, dentist yes, in his absolutely. right mind would see, yeah, what what patient in his right mind, what dentist in his right mind would take a patient that's on that list, you know? Exactly. Even if it's an innocuous thing, like uh, they owe me $100. Uh, mm -hmm. You would that, that right there, that's a red flag. Someone that owes $100, that could be a, who wants a patient that doesn't pay their bills? So that could lead absolutely. to people not getting health care, so... Yeah talking about the owing $100, I did something, and I actually think it's kind of something you might have done yourself. Um, when we had an economic downturn a while back, I'm looking at the books, and we have a bunch of patients who they just weren't paying their bills, and they're on payment plans or what have you. So what I did, uh, it was actually right after Harvey, because Harvey really decimated the local economy. I'm sure you you know, you live in Florida. And yeah, so we had that was What's that? With Wilma, we had that in 2005. Yep. That was rough. Yeah. So what I did is I, um, I just wrote letters to all those patients who were more than six months behind. And I said, I understand that times are tough and that all of us have our own unique challenges. Here at Winning Smiles Family Dentistry, we truly care about our patients and their families. And we want you to know that we will be forgiving you this debt of blah. And I included the bill on the back. And I said, due to the fact that we are forgiving you this debt, though, you will be required to pay in advance for any further dental treatment rendered at our office. You know, we yeah, hope that's a that great idea. So you wouldn't believe what the response was. What do you think the response was? Uh, probably anywhere from gratitude to how dare you contact me about a, an old bill. I don't owe you anything. Yes. You're, you're, but you about know, a third of them. Out, you, 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 I went to another dentist. Uh, he said you did it wrong. You know, oh, God. I, Those dentists, that dentist who always says you do it wrong, that's the one I want to, I want to run him over with the bus he threw us under. But um, yeah. 
and well, it's we usually have, difficult uh, patients too. Yeah, we should have a site for that. That's a huge thing in Florida. You know, a patient leaves you, and right away, oh, uh oh, you left out the perio. This crown is no good. Yada yada. So, so the response of my patients to that is sometimes they come back to me because they don't believe the other guy, or sometimes they're mad at me because they say, well, uh, Doctor Warner, why didn't you tell me uh, right. I had twelve cavities and I need a, a four quadrants of osseous surgery? And you know, my answer is because you don't. But the, you know, some. Some believe me and some don't. It's it's like a free for all out there when patients. Well, and there's that. there's as much over treatment as there is under treatment out there. I've found, and that it's that's one of the things that as a dentist, and you we've we've talked about this before. I was a scientist before I was a dentist, and so when I became a dentist, I expected okay, I'm a I'm a medical doctor of the mouth, and I I know you you don't agree with us being doctors. We'll we'll talk about that later. So I'm I'm a I'm an oral physician. And I expect right. us to practice to a very certain standard of care. And we don't. Right. We're all over the damn map, um, which is part of the yeah. reason why dentistry is quote an art. But there needs to be more standardization. There really does. Um, but how do you do that without cracking down on, on, on the dentist's ability to practice? I, I don't see a way to yeah. do that. I don't see a way forward. No, I knew do I. They're trying to do that with that evidence-based care, which I haven't read about much lately, but that was like a big thing until uh, COVID hit. But well, so, so, is, so is the perio, the new perio classing uh, and grading system. I had, a, I had a, um, an intern reach out to me and uh, they're working on their post-doctorate work. And they said, oh, we want to survey everyone on TBOD and find out you know, what they think of this new perio classification, how they're implementing it. And I say, I'll tell you, they think it's stupid and they're not implementing it. In fact, the periodontists aren't implementing either. No one cares about it. No one wants it. And we're going to ignore it. <laughs> and he yeah. said, yeah, that's kind of what I found from everyone else too. <laughs> you know, but, the, the whole perio thing, you know, that it, it could prevent heart disease and uh, all these other maladies, you know, I think there's some validity to it, but then it could also be the chicken before the egg argument. Like maybe right. it's because people that don't, you know, people that have bad, uh, you know, health, they're not taking care of their teeth either. Well, so, you know, you knows? make a really valid point there. Um, people who have heart disease have increased levels of CRP um, or C-reactive protein. If you have increased CRP, you have increased inflammation. And so right. who's to say that that increased inflammation isn't what starts the periodontal disease? I think, honestly, what we're going to find is that it's far more intricate than a simple causation um, as we look at it back over the years. You know, for me right, right. now, I warn my patients, you know, and I tell them, look, you got periodontal disease. I can't give you a healthy cleaning because that that's not what we do. I've diagnosed you with this and you might go down the street and there might be a guy who is willing to do it. I think. Yeah, I give the, I give the cleaning. I give the cleaning because I, I can't do, do a waiver? that fight. What? Do you do a waiver? Because I thought in Florida and Texas, you can't waive, um, waive rights to malpractice. Well, like, I can't like, uh, for example, let them get away with not taking x-rays. I don't let them take right. x-ray. I mean, I make them take x-rays. But if they, uh, if I, if it's documented in the chart that they have uh, active perio, uh, the, due to financial reasons, they just want to get their pro fee. You know, that's, to me, that's sufficient. You know, I, I've never had a lawsuit. Uh, what's your, that, what's your you philosophy know? behind that? I'm curious. Because uh, the patients want the cleaning, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's often free for them under their insurance plan. And why drive away a customer over well, such a... My, my philosophy uh, that I've kicked around with that, and I've really considered doing it that way, honestly, except for the inability to sign away 
you know, malpractice in Texas is I can't have them sign a paper that says I refuse perio and I just want my regular cleaning. I'm still liable. So it isn't that, really malpractice. What's that? Isn't really mal I don't know if that's malpractice because this it, still it is it is in it is in uh, California. I know that, and I think that unfortunately, um, as the socialist crap spreads, that it's going to eventually get here to Texas. Uh, the, the Californians are coming here as quickly as they can, um, yeah. and then trying to Californicate Texas. So I know not a shame. I don't, I don't, don't they realize what they you know they're fleeing something and then they want to have the same thing in their new. Don't they see the correlation between why they're leaving California? I, they, they don't. They're stupid. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, same thing the reason that they do the things they do. Yeah, it's the same thing with the New Yorkers coming to Florida. They they come. Broward, Palm Beach, and Dade are democratic, democratically run. You know, we had our beach here closed for three months, which is the stupidest thing I've ever said. Why? You close a beach? What's healthier than going to the beach? You know, I, well, you're not going to catch COVID at the no, beach. No, you're not, because COVID is killed in about nine seconds by sunlight so in like All literally right. nine seconds um in the other the other thing is is it's what we what we are going to find i'll tell you right now because this is my background is we're going to find that the masks actually cause degradation of antibodies faster than if people didn't wear masks because the continued exposure to that antigen is what causes the antibodies to be released of course, and they continue to be released, and it strengthens the immunity. I, I cannot believe, I cannot believe the total uh, ignoring of the immune system function in this whole thing. I mean, this by, is not by doctors who should know better, right? Yeah, dentists. Ha. I mean, I took. I just got you say dentists or doctors. Well, you know, I, we, I consider that a win. Okay, we're not like doctors, like medical doctors, but yes, we are doctors. We do take the same courses, and I took immunology in college, and I am Absolutely. shocked that my fellow colleagues who probably took a course like that don't even remember anything of it. And I, you know, I, I'm, my philosophy in school was memorize it, get an A and then forget it so I could become a dentist and make money. But I still remember- And yet you still managed to remember enough to know that what we're doing as a society is moronic. Yes, I remembered the T cells and the B cells and the, and the, and the lymphocytes. I remember enough from that class to know that this is like hogwash what we're, how the way we're, the way we're approaching this thing. This well, is it's a, interesting this is because there's actually some correlation with dentistry. One of the things that we do in cases of periodontal disease is we'll prescribe sub-antimicrobial doses of doxycycline because it actually retards the, the, um, the lymphocyte's ability to degranulate, right? And so right. because of that, it decreases inflammation because they're the ones that release all the inflammatory mediators. And so right. all the inflammation in the lungs is what was killing people. So when I got right. COVID, I just put myself, I mean, I put someone on a regimen of doxycycline and I didn't have any difficulty breathing at all. Right. And that's interestingly enough, after that, I started reading that MDs were starting to do the same thing in their ERs and it was keeping people off of ventilators. So it's funny that that basic scientific knowledge still works, but evidently germ theory just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, even these people that are getting vaccinated and still insisting that they wear masks or they're mad that their fellow vaccinated people uh, are still are not wearing masks. I have one patient that hasn't gotten the vaccine yet, but he lives in a 55 plus community where they're mostly mm -hmm. vaccinated. Now they're they're starting to go to the they were not wearing masks. They're just starting to congregate like life was normal. And he thinks he's 
in shock that these people are doing that. So I didn't want to get into it with them, but it's, it's, it's just amazing the mindset that people are taking this vaccine and still think that we can't go back to normal. I mean, there are people, dentists that are- People do try to not talk politics and not talk religion with their patients. I actually kind of enjoy it because I, I tend, what I find is in this small community, I tend to draw the same kind of people and so it's, it's kind of an echo chamber to one extent, but it gives them a chance yeah. to complain about things. They actually like coming in because they can complain to me about what's going on. And, and you know, I'll agree yeah. with them. But well, I'll, I'll talk politics. If, if they're like minded, I'll talk politics. Once in a while, there are people that I disagree with politically, but we still get along. Absolutely. Anyway, so, so we respect each other. And there are some people I just totally avoid it like this because if I'm not close with them, you know, and they'll sit in a chair and go, oh, that jackass Trump uh, did it again. I'll just say, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, say, I'll just, you know, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't agree. Exactly. I hear you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't get into it with some people, but it just, it, I, it's a case by case uh, uh, basis, you know? Absolutely. But, um, so, so real quick, uh, I'm going to end things off with the, the result of that letter. Believe it or not, one third of the people came into my office pissed off wanting to pay me, which I never expected. And they were angry because they didn't want to know as be, be known as people who didn't pay their bill. Wow. So that, that, to me, that's, that means there's hope for America, at least here in Alvin, Texas. Yeah, well, that, that's where you are, you know. Over here, probably most people would, I'd probably get a third of the letters back, uh, not deliverable anymore if the person <laughs> moved. And then a third would uh, just ignore it. And uh, maybe a few would uh, uh, say, oh, that's very nice. But most, I think most of my patients would either ignore it, even though they would appreciate it, they would ignore it, or that I would get back uh, uh, the, the letter be returned, the uh, person no longer at this address. Because Florida is so transient. People die, they yeah. move. You know, they, they, they live in a place, but no one knows they live there. You know, that kind of thing. You know, we, we got back one letter where someone had written us a scathing reply, but that was the only one. That person was crazy anyway. It, she had, uh, I'd yeah. already kicked her out of the practice. So, yeah, but I thought that, that's a very good idea because uh, those balances were uncollectible anyway. It just exactly. makes you practice. It looks, what do you do? You send them to the collections, look. ruin their credit rating, which doesn't, doesn't give you them the message that you want to send anyway, which is that as a doctor, you care about them. And right. it just reinforces their idea that all dentists are just about the money. You know, right. they were never going to be able to pay me. Yeah. So why not? Why not choose an act of grace instead? But that's not a bad. Uh, that's not a bad idea for uh, COVID. You know, the, I'm sure a lot of dentists have this situation now with COVID. Absolutely. Although this is a weird. This is a weird thing with COVID because I find that most people have more money since COVID started. They all got their stimulus well, yeah, they, check. They got their stimulus check. They weren't able to go out and eat. You know, that, that I think yeah. is a huge thing that a lot of people are discounting is the number of families that basically subsist on takeout food. They weren't actually able to do that. And all of a sudden people are cooking, which they weren't doing before. And right. they're spending a lot less money. So they've got more money yeah. stockpiled because of that. Yeah, actually, I just read an IBD, the National Net Worth increased uh, last year, which is hard to believe. The net worth went up to like 12 trillion or something. It's really interesting. You would think uh, it wouldn't have happened, but I, you know, with the stimulus checks and the PPP money and like the, the low interest rates by the Fed, all the stocks, everyone's stocks and real estate went up. So, uh, you know, some people did well with COVID. I, you know, you'd be surprised. I think the ones that struggled with the restaurants and anything in the 
you know, the uh, recreation industry, cruises, movie theaters, but a lot of people uh, did okay with COVID. Even dentists, I think dentists uh, pretty much survived COVID pretty well. I, I'll you know, be honest with you, I was so wrong. I thought with everything that was going on, I was sure that about 20% of the dentists in the nation were going to go under. But um, yeah. I, this is one of those few times, in fact, I think I told you that before. Um, this is one of those few times where I am more than happy to say I was wrong and I'm glad I was wrong because I, I, I was foreseeing a, a disaster. Yeah, me too. I thought I was going to go under, you know, I, I said, oh, this is great. You know, I thought I'd go through my savings and I have to work out the alimony with the ex. And actually I did stop paying for a little bit. You know, I, I, I cut back my alimony payments. There's nothing she could have done because the courts were closed here. But anyway, I was worried about it too. I, I hear our workout uh, playing on your phone over there. <laughs> that's my son. That's my son. That's well, my well, son. Real quick, my... I, I'm going to let you get to your conversation with him. Um, if you had just a couple of words of advice for new dentists getting out right now and also new practice owners, what would they be? Well, for new dentists, don't, don't be so picky about where you work. Just work anywhere. Even if it's a bad job, you'll still learn something. I learned something at jobs that were terrible, but I still learned. And then if a new practice owners, uh, don't be such a hard ass with your fees and sign up for insurance. Get the patients into your office, you know? And if someone wants to, if you're, if you're dead set on charging $800 for a crown and someone says, well, can you do it for 650? Do it. You know, because uh, you'll get a patient and you'll get maybe their friends. And I think that young dentists should charge less. I, I cut my fees as a young dentist when I bought my practice from the guy who I bought it from, because I could sense that people were looking at me as a young dentist and they, and they didn't really trust me. They didn't think I knew what I was doing, but if I was charging a low fee, they gave me a shot. So I actually cut the fees when I took over my practice and That's I signed up for more plans. Kind so that's of the way that's kind of the way I feed my, my associates is um, I'm out of network, but they're all in network. And we'll just right. have a frank discussion and say, hey, look, if you go with Dr. So-and-so, it's going to save you money. Right. So I'd rather make my money well, off of them making money anyway. Yeah. And then the other thing is uh, do the 10% repay option. Don't be such in a rush to pay off you know, any bills. I mean, I'm not saying max out your credit cards and make the minimum payment. That's stupid. But, you know, as far as a, a mortgage, take the 30-year mortgage, uh, your practice loan, get the, the longest payout you can get. And then with the student loans, spread it out, spread out everything so you have a, you, you can breathe. And don't overspend also. Don't overspend. You don't, you, just because you're a doctor doesn't mean you have to live in a, oh, you know, a mansion. Yeah, yeah. I, I live, I live so far beyond, uh, so far below my ability. That's not funny. And that is why. Yeah, well, me too. I, I used, I used to not, when I was married, I lived way over my head, but now I live under. It's fantastic. You know, I, I, I don't sweat any. You've always got money. Now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing wrong with having money. It, it, it's okay to have money sitting around. There's no nobility you know, you in poverty. That's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also you're not impressing anybody. They don't care. Yeah. They got their own problems, you know? So that's well, my Steven, advice to them. Thank you for joining us again. Um, and as always, it's a pleasure getting to talk to you. Um, there's been many, many late nights uh, that we've chatted. So folks, 
thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deer Doc Podcast. And, um, you know, wasting an hour of your time listening to the droning sound of our voices. I hope that you've gotten something of benefit out of this. And I hope you join us again. Stephen, thanks again, brother. Yeah, take care. Nice seeing you. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.